Hey folks, Steven here. Uh, today's episode is a little different from some of the other episodes you may have heard on the Journos podcast. It's a recording of an interview that I conducted with a marriage and family therapist living in San Francisco named Dennis Barron. Uh, the interview was actually recorded as part of our Journos as a Service initiative in which we go out and uh, dig up a bunch of facts and figures and such uh, for other podcasts. And then we are guests on that podcast, and Brandon and I sort of as these like hired guns. Um, uh, th this interview was used to uh, inform our appearance on the JV Club podcast uh, with Janet Varney, uh, in which we talk uh, about kind of a lot of different topics related to what it means to be a teenager, and also a few things that maybe we should consider in terms of how we could better support teenagers uh, in today's crazy world. Enjoy. All righty. Today we are talking with an old friend of mine named Dennis Barron, and he is an MFT, a marriage family therapist in San Francisco, who specializes in working with both families and adolescents. I also, as some listeners may know from the show, I was a high school teacher for 10 years, all adolescent all the time too. So I've no my way around these wonder years a bit too, but I'm really excited to talk to you, Dennis. Um, so without further ado, uh, please tell us, you know, your name, your background, where you're from, where you studied, what you're interested in, just what's your deal? Cool, yeah. Dennis Barron is my name. Um, grew up in Southern Connecticut, uh, Fairfield, just kind of maybe an hour, 45 minutes, an hour North of New York. Um, lived there till I was like 17, 18, went to college at St. Michael's college up in Burlington, did the Burlington life for a while. Loved that town, did grad school there. I got an undergrad degree in psychology and then a graduate degree in mental health counseling up there. Lived there for about 14 years. I then moved out here to the Bay, been in San Francisco for like eight, nine years. Um, been pretty, worked in pretty much, I don't know, a lot of different settings with teens. Uh, since finishing undergrad in like 06, I've worked predominantly with adolescents and or families. I definitely work a lot more with adults now uh, because I look like an adult. Uh, it was cool working with teens when I was like 21. I looked kind of like 16. And so it's like <laughs> totally. super easy. And yeah. now it's funny. Kids are like, man, you're old. And I'm like, shit, I'm old. Dang, totally. it happened. I know it happened yeah. so quick that, you know, when I was a teacher too, I started teaching when I was like 23 and I was like walking in these classrooms and I was like, I'm, I'm like three years older than you, man. <laughs> like I, I have friends like where the age differential is like exactly the same as what we're doing here. So it's, yes. it's that it is a trip too. It's like, have you ever noticed that when you're a kid and you're a freshman and someone's a junior, they're so much older than you. There's so much you perceive them as so much older. And then that kind of never goes away. Right. You are always that person is always going to be the older kid, even if you remain friends throughout you know your life. But now in adulthood, in my 20s, I was I had friends when I was 24. I had friends who were 28, 35, everything. And it just feels so much less like so much less time. Yeah. What what is it about the teenage experience that makes us see time in that different sort of way? You know, I was wondering when you were talking if it's like, you know, something I notice uh, 
being a teen, you're almost spoiled with the amount, I don't know if that's the right word, but with the amount of people that systems put in front of you. Um, so you kind of have the luxury and, you know, I work with teens now and they're like, whoa, I'm not hanging out with a freshman, man. And I'm like, oh, sorry. Uh, what year are you? Like, yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> right. Like, you know, I get it totally. There's a structure, there's a hierarchy, you know, as humans, I think we sort of in many ways are attuned to structures and hierarchies. So it kind of fits power, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but then when you become an adult, you know, if you're, I'm 38. So if I'm 38 and I want to make new friends, I got to put some serious effort into things to do that. I've got to place myself in situations where other similar minded people are around. Mm-hmm. It becomes more and more challenging. You have to seek out things, endure different tasks or groups or whatever it may be. When when you're a teenager, you might you know, go to high school or even when you're in college, you go to a class and, you know, everyone's sitting in that room is somewhat interested in, in what you are. They've landed in the same geographical spot or live in your daily life. You can connect. So maybe that's part of it is there's so many people. Maybe there's a, a power hierarchy that we're kind of attuned to. Yeah. And uh, the luxury of having a lot of people around, you know, most of the time. Yeah. No, that I think that's interesting. I mean, I feel like there are totally these uh, the the idea of the structures that are in place from the time when a, a child first begins to sort of leave the home whether it's to preschool i mean really to daycare or preschool from that moment like especially in american culture everything is very regimented and um so perhaps it is the fact that when you're a child the difference between a freshman and a junior in high school in between those two grades, there's there there's there's sort of this gargantuan amount of structures and roadblocks and rules and separations between you those two people. Um, whether it's even to the type of stuff they're studying in class, right? Like the, those things are very set in place. Whereas when you kind of enter the melee of your twenties everybody's kind of like in this same sort of soup together. So if you, you, you can feel closer, you can seek out like like like-minded people who are not broken up automatically by those striations of, you know, different like grades and skill levels and that shit. Son is, um, he's in, uh, like preschool and, Mm -hmm. and bring him to school in the mornings and, and, uh, they had like the, some teachers were sick one day. So they were like, Oh, bring him in the other door, you know? So his in in his school he's a koala, and the other kids are joeys, right? So they've already divided them into the koalas and the joeys. Yeah, and I'm like, all right, we're gonna go in this door today, and he like it was like, whoa, whoa, you know, this whole like emotional situation out front of the school, and I'm like, dude, we're just going in this, like it's fine, you, you, you can, it's the building's tiny. Yeah, and he's like, I can't go in the joeys door. That's the joeys door. I'm not going in the joeys door, and I'm like, what is with this joeys thing? So I asked the teacher. I'm like who are the joeys? You know what I mean? I don't yeah. know who, who's the joeys, you know, it's almost like they're like gang affiliated. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who are these joeys and what are they doing? Rough, roughnecks. And, yeah. You no. Know? And the teacher's like, no, they're the, they're younger. The joeys are the uh, babies. So even at three and a half, my son was like, I can't be associated with the babies called the joeys. That is not me. I'm not going in their door. Cause then I'm one of them. I'm a big kid now. Totally. This side. So I was like, wow, he's even, even from like preschool, he's like, I can't be that younger classification. 
that's a great jumping off point to talk about, you know, the teenage experience, because it's like whatever that koala versus Joey thing is, it's just on steroids by the time you're like 13, etc. So, uh, you know, focusing on teenagers and adolescents specifically in America, what is the current sort of thinking around what's most important for teenage and adolescent development? To important to psychology, to education, to family. I mean, maybe to just kids. Like, what's the most important thing from a therapist's perspective that a teenager needs to be working on? Or, you know, what are those milestones that need to be hit, uh, uh, that people need to hit? What are parents kind of concerned about? What are teachers concerned about, et cetera? How, uh, how are teenagers best supported in society today? Yeah. I think social connection is like a huge one that jumps out at me as you're talking. It's a huge milestone. It's super tricky. It's pressure filled, especially if it doesn't click right, right away. Um, you know, a, a good friend network, a good peer group can can really. I mean, I imagine a lot of those kids don't need to come to therapy. Their friends tell them what's up and they listen and that's kind of what the need is. So that's one thing that comes to mind. Um, there's a lot of educational pressure, you know, particularly here in the Bay Area, between a lot of families to you do something if you want to live here. And so there's a lot in this area, a lot of academic pressure. Mm -hmm. Parents, um, that may not be the case in places where living's a little easier. Independence, I think, is the other like main developmental milestone that drives parents nuts. We'll be there one day. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's really hard. It's like teenage years are a time of... Uh, messing around and finding out, you know, it's, it's yeah. this balance of like, you've got to mess around to figure out who am I? What are my skills? What am I capable of? What do I not need my family for? Uh, how can I have a whole separate life apart from my family life and, and be successful at it or, yeah. or somewhat? And then parents are like, well, that means you're out till midnight or well, you didn't call me. Or nowadays with parents, it's like, you're not letting me track your movements on your phone. <laughs> you know, so those yeah, are crazy. things that come to mind, like the social dilemmas, uh, the independence versus dependence mm -hmm. um, and, and the academic, you know, yeah. success. Thing. Yeah. Why is being a teenager so hard? It sounds like a, oh, there's an obvious answer to it. But even if you had this great teenage experience, it's still very complicated. It's very messy. It's very challenging. What is it about that sort of hardware and the equipment that a teenager has in his in his or her brain? What is it about that specifically that makes it so hard? A lot of times there's like a mismatch between social expectations and actual brain development. Um, I don't know this to be true, but I imagine this idea of 18 as an adult comes from probably war. You had to draft people for a war. And so we mm -hmm. decided 18, they were adults, which is whatever decision they made. It wasn't based on brain development. And, and so we've sort of really, if you talk to kids like 18, you know, 18, 18, of course, the number means a lot. You change to be a legal adult. You know, you're not going to get away with as much. High school's ending. You're supposed to enter the quote unquote real world. So there's all this stuff at 18, but nothing happens cerebrally on your 18th birthday, right? It's just another day, like yeah. in a meetup construct of a year and, and, a, and a month the brain does not <laughs> develop to think about careers at 18 it's like yeah. what do we want to do to have fun tonight that is where the like, <laughs> is like what can i do to bring me some pleasure in the next 10 minutes 
Um, what college do you want to go to? It's impossible expectations. Yeah. I think the educational setting in our in our culture is an interesting one. I mean, you, you work there sitting in a chair and being quiet and getting a lot of information and having to interpret it in a certain way and regurgitate it back to prove that you know it um, is just one style of learning. And mm-hmm. um, I think that doesn't fit for a lot of people, particularly boys. Um, mm-hmm. But just it's a model that is given to everyone. And there's no model that works for everyone. Yeah going to be some outliers. And I think that's a challenge too. If you don't fit right into that model of like, cool, I'll go home and do some homework and sit and focus for a couple hours and regurgitate that information. So someone knows that I understand what they were trying to give to me in a way that they can understand that it gets tricky pretty quick. Yeah. I mean, why are teenagers like that? Like I, it makes sometimes it, it sounds like a big question too, but like what's, evolutionarily like why are teenagers impulsive why are they obsessive what are these sort of hallmark characteristics you think of when that are true for teenagers of course it's a spectrum like not every kid is brooding or anxious or off the wall or straight and narrow obviously it's like there's no one size fits all but i feel like there are certain traits that really emerged that we were all grappling with as teenagers like why why aren't we okay with long-term future planning when we're 17 like like what is it about the human animal at that stage two things come to mind um one is just brain development the part of the brain behind your forehead the frontal cortex is not fully online yet that's the part of the brain that says maybe i shouldn't jump off that cliff Mm-hmm. Went to the water because like I could get her maybe 95 is a little fast because it's raining. Mm. You know, part of the brain when we're adults and we're like, Yo, I got to get to that appointment. If I go 95, I can get there on time. But uh, it's been raining lately. Uh, you know what? I'll just be late because I know that if I'm 10 minutes late, it's will probably still take me. That whole thought process yeah. is not there when you're a teen. So it's like the gas pedals there, the brakes are just not fully developed. So yeah. And so what at what age is that sort of happening? I know it's probably different for different kids and their stages of development. But like in general, where are we at from like 14, 15, 16, 17? Can you give me just like a snapshot? of? They say mid 20s, your mid 20s. Wow. In some estimates now is your late 20s is when your brain is fully developed. Oh, my gosh. So back to the point on we're expecting people to be 18 and sort of make fully developed expectations. It might be another 10 years. So yeah. time. A, lot, a lot can happen in 10 years. I know. So. I mean, I'm 39. I feel like I'm I, I'm not kidding. I'm just getting it now. I'm just figuring it out. I say it all the time. <laughs> like, when do I feel I became an adult? Probably like 30. I was like, mm-hmm. all right, you know, I'm like getting the world enough to like make some good decisions and still have some fun. Yeah. The other thing you mentioned was evolution. And I think uh, I like nerd out on, on the evolution stuff sometimes. And I talk to my clients about it if they can nerd out on it. <laughs> nice. If you think back, like not that long ago, the life expectation was super short. I don't know, a thousand years ago in the year 1000, like was the life expectancy 30 or 40 years old? If you think back, like not that long ago before medical science could keep us alive to, I don't know, the average age is like 80 or something. A thousand years ago, if you got a cut on your finger and it got infected, it's probably the end. That's it. That's it. Like you got a cut, some bacteria got in there because it's everywhere. And now it's spreading. There's nothing you can do about it where now it's like, oh, antibiotics are good in a day. If you think back to that time, um, if if you were going to live 30 or 40 years, I'm guessing on that, um, 
18, you got to be ready to go. King Tut was like 12. Or like oh, yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, definitely. Even like a thousand years ago, you know, our life expectancy was a third of what it is today. That period of time from like once you are physically able to reproduce, you're in charge, man. Like that's that, yeah. that's happening. You got to start. Things got to start happening. So I think about that, too. And also, you know what? Another example is is like ADD and ADHD. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I often nerd out. I'm like, why is it that these things persisted like a collection of traits wasn't weeded out by the gene pool? Well, probably because you needed someone like ADHD or ADD is only a thing now because it doesn't fit into the models that we have available, like the, the modern school, like mm -hmm. modern modern office, you know, culture uh, doesn't match so well with it. But if you think about like hunter gatherers, you're 40 and you're like, ah, I don't have much longer. And <laughs> you got someone. You know, you're like, I'm checking out soon. I'm, old age is hitting me. You got a kid who's 14 and eager to run up that mountain and doesn't want to sit and weave baskets all day and wants to like go explore the other side of the river. And, yeah. and that's a real strength. That's something oh, wow. that you be like, yeah, man, go, go look up that mountain. I'm going to chill right here. I'm almost 40. Things yeah. are getting tough. And Dude. so there was probably a real advantage during much of humanity. You know, if you think about the times as we know it, like really like the industrial revolution stands out to me. Mm -hmm. And then before that, like things were wildly the same for a really long time. And then machinery started and like the, the leaps in humanity were like exponential. Yeah. And so we, our brains, like you're talking about the hundred thousand year thing, you know, our brains don't evolve in a thousand years. We have the same brains as cave people. Uh, but think about how much, our lives have changed since cave people. Like it probably yeah. takes hundreds of thousands to millions of years for us to like lose a tail, right? Or like mm -hmm. not grow hair on your forehead. Like those evolutionary changes took hundreds of thousands or millions of years. Yeah. And it's the same with the brain. So we like fool ourselves. We have, you know, collared shirts and we drive cars around. And so we kind of are really able to like think that we're separate from mm -hmm. animals. But, but we have the same brains that cave people did and we're I, functioning at that level. I've never thought about that. So then why are we able to do so many more things than the cave people? What if it's the same hardware? How did we get all this new software? I think groupings of people. Mm. So like if it were a teenager alone by themselves, you don't stand a chance. You'll be eaten by a saber toothed tiger in no time but we can make friends right and this goes to the the adolescence part the teenage part if you can make a bunch of friends and your friends can be friends with that other tribe and you can put your heads together and figure out okay if we build a fence here like the saber-toothed tiger will rip your face off but it can only jump so high and so we can go cut down those trees we can build a fence that's 15 feet high and then we can live here in relative safety mm -hmm. amongst one and we have to deal with other problems because now we got to live amongst one another and share resources and compete for resources. But the threat of getting your face eaten off by a saber-toothed tiger is gone, and that's better. So yeah. we'll deal with the politics, if you will, and the social difficulties of living together because we can have safety. Eventually, the gun was created, right? And it was like, okay, there's no animal around that stands <laughs> a chance now. We've dominated everything. We've got a gun. So, like, you know, 
Elephant yeah. doesn't matter. Let's talk about how we differentiate our identities as we grow up. So to say like, oh, well, I was a teenager then and I'm an adult now. And somehow there's this illusion that we are these different people. So tell me a little bit about your perspective on how different these two selves are, the teenage self and the adult self. It depends on the amount of stress you're at in a given moment. Uh, You put a human under a lot of stress and you see them become a child pretty quickly. You see Mm -hmm. them... Sometimes, and not necessarily in a bad way, sometimes we've got to survive and those instincts look like being a child. You know, take two people in a committed romantic relationship and drop some stress in there. And the things that become the core of the arguments are the same as on a schoolyard, right? That's not fair. Or I want that. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, you're not listening. You know, the things that are the same kind of across the lifespan Uh, If we can separate ourselves from stress, we can feel more adult-like, kind of aligned with how the brain works. If you're peaceful, you know, we can be adults. So if there's relative peace, we can think longer term. Um, We can think very rationally, use our rational mind, not the emotion mind. Yes, I'm really upset that you did something like that. But on the grand scheme of things, it's small, you know, that kind of thinking, mm-hmm. as opposed to ever you did. And I'm pissed and I'm going to get so angry about it, um, which is life. So I think that's important. Like we're, we are teenagers when we're under stress and we're adults when things are relatively calm. Yeah. With repetition into like adulthood and managing all kinds of stress, I think we get better at it. Mm-hmm. You know, we build some real skills and that's kind of like what a lot of counseling is, is how to, at least that I practice is like understanding our experience through our thoughts, our emotions and our actions and yeah. just critically questioning that process and just seeing things in a different way or a new perspective, taking different actions and finding different results. There's so much pressure on teenagers. There's so much stress structurally built into the life of an American teenager in these times that it's almost like, okay, so you have an underdeveloped brain that's going to be more impulsive just because that's where the brain's at. And then on top of that, you stress that brain out. And then teenagers are going to act kind of funky sometimes. And on top of that, they have more of a expectation to not act crazy. And they have more like stringent consequences uh, to face when they do act crazy than you do as an adult. It, and we were like, oh, well, what's wrong with these kids? It's like, well, I mean, maybe what's wrong with what we're making them do? I mean, I thought I felt that a lot teaching kids, especially with disabilities for 10 years and, and, and watching a lot of these students who have not only like, you know, learning problems, all of the other typical teenage problems. And then they're also supposed to perform at school in this system that's designed for the middle of the bell curve. It's crazy. It's, it's totally crazy. So it seems like we're not typical, we're not necessarily all that different from our teenage selves. It's just maybe the degree of repetition and skills that we've developed to help regulate some of these baser instincts that are just more like on display when we're kids. Is that kind of what you're getting at? That's that's a nice way to capture it. Yeah, I think adults are just grown up kids. You know, <laughs> I'm not above this. I just happen to bear witness to it every day. I do the same thing when I, you know, have arguments with my wife or, yeah. you know, I talk to my parents or I go back home for the holidays. You know, you get right back into those. Right systems. back in there. Things just 
pick up the way they were and you know it's all good but go home for the holidays right <laughs> or, or whatever go go to thanksgiving dinner with the larger family and, and you might realize like okay i'm, I'm a kid again here right? those roles yeah because it's like we, yeah. we fall into those structures immediately like we react to it if you were to compare your adolescent and teenage experience to that of a child today how would you characterize that difference the main di- i have like some dissonance here like the main difference that just comes to mind is technology and i don't want it to be that so i don't like i don't know i just wish it were something else but that's what i big seen, you know like stuff that i got away with you know mm-hmm. as a kid like because there wasn't everyone didn't have a, a, a phone or pe- everyone wasn't taking pictures and, and putting it on social media like me and my buddies probably would have been doing that I don't know. It wasn't definitely a hundred percent. Yeah. You know, there's the brain thing. Like what's funny right now, put this online, everyone laughs and you get likes, you don't think about who's going to see this in 10 years or whatever. Or, or on Monday morning, like in the principal's office. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Totally. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it's technology. I think like the, that that's a, a difficult thing. Something that I notice a lot is, um, while the, the, like phones is a big one because by the time you're a teenager, you sort of have to have a phone to function mm-hmm. socially, which yeah. is double-edged sword. And logistically with family stuff and how you're going to get picked up. And yeah, yeah, totally. Catching a bus or an Uber, you know, mm-hmm. you, like society is today where if you're a teenager and you don't have a phone, you're probably not doing much. Like your your existence is home a lot. probably. Mm-hmm. Um, so you kind of have to have this tool. And then it's like an overwhelming amount of information and connection. In some ways, that's great one of my favorite conversations with teens, they come in and they're all like, not all of them, I shouldn't say that, that's not true. But teenagers who are very pro marijuana. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't know, you, you got all information there. I don't know. When I was a kid, there was like one sketchy website that you could find that had like some information about marijuana on it. Yeah. Now it, kids can access like peer reviewed journals and they're like, oh, actually, according <laughs> to this article, it, it doesn't impact your memory. And I'm like, wow, let me see. Let me read that. Yeah. Uh, where'd that come from? So, you know, kids are super smart these days. The, the amount of information they have, it's great. Particularly what I see come up a lot is uh, how technology can kind of be a crutch mm-hmm. and can, can lead teenagers astray of facing some of the difficult but developmentally necessary challenges that come about. Here's an example. Uh, sitting in a high school party, let's say you're in high school and you go to a, a house party, yep. uh, you know, quintessential high school experience. Parents are away. This is like time to shine. All your classmates are there and it's hard, right? And so yeah. what do you do with that difficulty? When I was in high school, it was, there's not much to do. And eventually that that inner turmoil would get so much that you go talk to somebody or you go do something or strike up a conversation. Yeah. Now, if you take out a phone, you can pass those moments by of having to confront that challenge mm. quite easily and over time. And all of a sudden, it's really hard to socialize. And it's like, well, yeah, it is totally. Yeah. And phones provide this really easy to access escape. So it's mm. like, that's an escape or you know, there's other things that come to mind, but the phone is just, it's, you know, we call it a phone. It's a pocket computer. Yeah. The, the computer is wonderful in some ways and in other ways provides kind of convenient distractions for challenges that I think ultimately end up helping. And and that's just one example. Kind of that is no, that's a, that's a wonderful example. And yeah, I mean, I don't know what I would have done if I had this phone. I'm like addicted to my phone as a almost 40 year old. I have to work on that. Like if I, and this is me 
having been through years of therapy and also very much trying to be better as a person, as like a, as an adult, I feel like, again, like I'm finally getting a hold of this stuff and it's still a challenge for me. So I couldn't imagine a 17 year old having to face that same challenge to understand the, the appropriate, healthy use of this unimaginably powerful tool. So to wrap things up, given these differences, what do teenagers need now the most? I think it goes back to to the the point in like separate we kind of tend to separate this teenage time from adult time for some reason. Um I think what teenagers need is what we need as adults. The need is the same. We need to be understood, we need to be included, we need to be loved. Mm -hmm. Uh we need to be listened to even if what we say doesn't make sense right away. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, we need to be listened to in the right way. We need to be included in society and in our families. We need to have a sense of purpose. You know, these things is the same, right? Like, at what age do you not need to be socially included? Look at f folks in, 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 in old folks' homes. Like, it's a struggle, right? Yeah. Like, um, you know, th this need doesn't stop to, to be included, to be a part of networks. And unfortunately, when people struggle, sometimes, like, you're describing experience in special education, sometimes those folks can get pushed out to the margins and what they need to be is included mm -hmm. more yeah, so. Yes. so. You know, that's kind of what comes to mind is, is what, you know, kids these days are also facing, like, I feel like, you know, well, objectively speaking, like, I mean, we're in California, it's a deluge for months yeah. happening they're really being confronted with like the, the world might end. <laughs> yeah, totally. Thinking. Yeah. And I mean, the way that especially like we spend a lot of time kind of digging into the media and digging into media narratives and how media like approaches big stories, climate change stories. It's like it, every weather story has a connection of global warming. Right. And, I, and again, this isn't like the reveal where I'm some global warming denier. I'm saying I, I, obviously this is a huge freaking deal but if you're a kid it's like yeah it's been raining for a month and it's just what you said and this might be the new normal and we're all gonna die you know what i mean yeah. like like that that is a huge reality that these kids are facing all the time political unrest there's never been more sort of uncertainty in the world and so we have these still developing brains and then they are who, who that don't do so great with stress and we're just finding we're like innovating ways to develop to, to present stress to these it very much in work in progress sort of human beings it was really pronounced during covid yeah when everyone was home and the news was on so many households just on repeat yeah that kids were like really exposed to news all the time i, I yeah. really noticed that as a theme to no one's fault what else are you gonna do like yeah turmoil chaos i don't know you put on the news and yeah people share houses and most people don't live in houses that are so big that you're disconnected from what other people are doing. And so I worked with a lot of teens here in the city, like during that time, and even talked to parents who were kind of like, oh, maybe like the news was on a lot. And, you know, there's a lot yeah. of happening. It's like, I, you might be up to something there, For you know, sure. <laughs> pretty bloom and bloom. There's not a lot of like, here's a good thing or two that's happening out there. No, like, just remind you that like, you know, there's some good yeah. stuff. <laughs> yeah. News 2021 news was 2020 to 2020. Now is news is hectic. And so like we just yeah, you're right. We were not as exposed um, 
as you know, kids growing up in the 90s and around the millennium and to all of that and through the lens of how stress can affect these developing brains and how it's just what sort of creates this extra sort of pressure cooker environment. That's a really good point. So maybe, yeah, you got to tell the kids you love them and turn off the news from time to time. Turn off the news. I think going outside is, going outside, is, yeah. you know, I think it's huge. I think the, it's the science is kind of coming out now, but back to the evolutionary thing, like our brains developed around the sounds of nature for eons. I don't even yeah. know what an eon is. Hundreds of thousands of years, depending on how far humans, as we know it, go back. Yeah. Um, the sounds that you hear now are post-industrial revolution sounds, jackhammers and airplanes and cars and car horns, yeah. you know, all the stuff in a city that you hear. And so like the time that our brains have been trying to process those sounds is like the width of a hair. Oh my gosh, totally. The length of time that is, you know, air in the trees and birds and silence and, and other humans and drums and, and things like that is like the rest of the chart. You yeah, know? dude. Totally. So I think we can get back as much. I know it's like we're in a city. There's parks in the city. You can get yeah. just to get that like a little bit of a reset. I think yeah. you know, kid is, is hugely beneficial and actually was a huge part of like, you know, things. I think a huge part of me moving through the challenges in adolescence was finding a connection to the outdoors. And oh, certainly. I wonder what would have happened the other way if that hadn't happened. Maybe, maybe not. Yeah. So I've never been a better person in my life since not to say I'm like a bad person. I'm just saying I've never been so calm and focused in my life since I've started surfing every day. You know, it's just like that. It just gets it gets me really where I need to be. Mm -hmm. And OK, so you live in a city, so you're more exposed to these post-industrial revolution noises. And that is not great when compared to these more natural sounds that are that our organism is more used to from an evolutionary standpoint hearing but mm -hmm. the trade-off is that by being closer together in cities we become a better sort of civilization and we learn more stuff and there's all those studies about how much more tolerant people are like in cities when you're exposed to one another from a very young age so there's like this weird trade-off where it's like, okay, live in the city, be around people, deal with the jackhammers, make sure that you're still taking care of yourself and that inner sort of natural self by getting out into nature. Yeah. I heard something recently, like it doesn't take much. It, it's not like you need to build a yurt somewhere and like disconnect for six months. I think the brain benefits of like a half hour walk in the woods, like, mm -hmm. you know, it's not going to be as resetting maybe as going camping for a few days and yeah. Yosemite or something like one of these, like, incredible places that that we have fortunate access to here but i think just a just a, a walk in the woods to smell the smell the grass yeah. or the trees or whatever it is can go a really long way i think it can be overwhelming to think if you're in a city especially if you're not super resourced i mean to get to yosemite you've got to have a car and gas yeah. to put in it and all the stuff that goes with it yeah you feel a bit overwhelming but um most cities have parks and i think if you took a stroll there's one here in the city. What is it? Uh, Glen Canyon. Or oh, Glen Canyon. I love Glen Canyon. Yeah, you go up in there and you're you're like just in this canyon. It's a, it's amazing. Yeah. You kind of forget. You're like, all right, for like 30 seconds there, I didn't know where I was. And then I remembered. I heard some horns speaking. Yeah. But like for a little bit there, I kind of got there and just sure. being present in the moment, you know, enjoying the scenery. Right on, man. Well, hey, thanks for spending time and exploring some of these questions with me. I just had a, a wonderful time chatting with you today. 
Smith. I'm Stephen Jackson. And many thanks to my guest, Dennis Barron, MFT today. I hope you have a great night, Dennis, and uh, get back to the family and everything. And it's been a pleasure. Likewise. Anytime. Thanks, brother. Journos is produced by Dave Coates. And again, Journos is now available as a service. In fact, we're calling it Journos as a Service. So if your podcast has a question or a mystery that you'd like solved, give us a holler. You can reach us at journos at journos.net.